West Media Studio on the shores of Lake Superior, Ontario, Canada. It's July 2016, and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind. Completely unscripted, raw, personal, and sometimes out of line. We do have Graham Field here. Today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, it is so magical because it brings us all here from all over the world, really, and, and it's like we're sitting in the same room as long as Skype keeps running. We have Shirley Hardy Rick. Shirley? Good morning. Oh, it's very early here. Sorry. My voice just isn't awake yet. Shirley, of Good morning. Is, is way down in Australia, and Brian, who's in a different place, Brian Ricks, is in a different spot than Shirley. Brian? Yeah, hi guys. I'm up in the high country uh, riding uh, through the snow again, and while Shirley's ensconced in Melbourne. Are you seriously in the snow again? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess we've now established my husband is an idiot. <laughs> you know, Shirley, I don't, I don't want to point things out, but I mean, you did marry him free will, you know, yeah. so I mean, that reflects a lot on you, and I just, I'm not going to go in there. <laughs> I'm, in a, I'm in a place called Cooma, and I'm sure Grant Johnson knows where Cooma is. Uh, oh, yeah. You couldn't ride through Jindabyne, uh, Grant, because uh, that's all snowed in. Uh, the Stony Mountains Highway snowed in. So uh, I'm in Cooma. And there's okay. snow in Canberra today, Brian, so you're going to be in snow uh, the whole day. Which is the way I'm going, yes. Correct. First time it snowed in Canberra for decades. And, of course, we have Grant Johnson. And, Grant, I have no idea where you are. I'm actually back home in Abbotsford, BC right now, just back from a month overseas and Hub UK and Ontario and the Ireland event, all three of which kept us very busy. So the scene is you're on the back patio, you've got a a drink with an umbrella on it, um, and and you're sitting with your feet up enjoying the sun. Ah, I wish. I'm just, I have that vision in my mind and saying it's actually raining at the moment and I'm downstairs in the basement (laughs) in the cold. I'm going to stay with and my hot, vision. Our hot water is leaking. <laughs> the hot water tank has actually failed and leaking all over the place. Oh. <laughs> I've got guys coming in to fix it. Great. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great coming home. We have Sam Manicom, who actually I don't know where you are either, Sam. <laughs> um, hello, everybody. I'm back from the States now, so I'm back home in the U.K., and um, I have to say that there are no disasters going on for me today. Um, it's a beautiful evening. It's been a sunny day for most of the day, and I'm sitting here with a large cup of coffee in one hand and a scotch in the other. And I think the listener would automatically note that that is it's it's not really a great story because something needs to be going wrong to make it well, an adventure. All right, so I'll spill the beans then. Up until yesterday... I was in and out of hospital. Now, you guys all know my reputation for visiting hospitals. Um, Very well. Flying back from the States, everything went absolutely fine. But within a couple of days of getting back from the States, guess who had managed to pick up um, a deep vein thrombosis? Oh, oh no. no. So the last few days have been um, blood tests and scans and in and out of hospital. It's all been a very interesting exercise. And... Um, Goodness bless the um, the National Health Service and all who work within her because they've been absolutely fantastic. And I'm now sorted and up and running again. Well, perhaps not quite running, um, limping sp- speedily. <laughs> See, well, Sam, you should have come back the long way around. I should have done. Just inflated the tyres the on the F800 GS and sailed across, shouldn't I? Good thing it didn't happen in the US going the other way, Sam. Yeah, that's for sure. 
You've been somewhat Americanized since you've been over in the States riding around because now you're sitting having a cup of coffee, which is very un-British. Well, I don't know. It is that time of the evening. Is it? I thought it was yeah, always time tea coffee, time. time for tea? Oh, well, I can always drink tea. Of course. <laughs> and we also have Graham Field. And, and Graham, I don't know where you are either. I mean, I thought you were in Bulgaria, but I think you're somewhere else now. Oh, I don't know where I bloody am, Jim. Um, <laughs> we, I'm supposed there's this, there's this world-class event called Red Bull Romaniacs, and it's somewhere where I'm not, but it's definitely in Romania, and it's these world-class riders doing this enduro stuff, and I'm not there, <laughs> but, I, but it is... But it is happening in Romania. On the plus side, I've beaten the crowds because everybody else is there. So what I did today, I'm riding with this girl. I'll say her name. Not, I'm not name dropping because probably a lot of, a lot of people listening will know because she's very relevant in the adventure bike scene in America. Her name's Sharon Faith. And I'm riding with her. And we're traveling around Romania and Bulgaria for a couple of weeks. And we've, we just today did the uh, Stella Alpina, which is across the Carpathian Mountains. And it, everything was beautiful i mean everything was perfect the at first i was a little bit underwhelmed because this is a, a, a highly overhyped road and i thought oh god i'm really spoiled i've done things better than this and then it got better and we did a bit off-roading it got even better and the scenery is fantastic the third guy riding with us happened to be a professional photographer and he's been he's like two years in around the world trip so we were getting some great photographs and we uh, we, we, and we travelled on and we got to this place and it's like, well, I'm kind of tired and I, got, I know I've got to do this show tonight because it's 11 o'clock here and I've got to do a little bit of maintenance on Sharon's bike. So I'm kind of ready to stop. Plus, the place where we are has a jacuzzi and my back's killing me. So that ticked all the boxes. So the third guy said, well, so I'm going to go up to the main town because I, I want to do something tonight. I want something happening. And we're like, well, we want tranquility. So we stopped here. It's beautiful. It's a running river. I'm looking down at a running river. And um, there's a few young lads run the place. And we went out to the mill. And when we came back, so I'm just going to get one more beer from the fridge. And there's this girl in hot pants. Well, that's kind of weird. doesn't really fit in with the environment. And, uh, and now there's this beating rap music. And it turns out, what night is it? Tonight is it Tuesday? It turns out there's a bachelor party, which not only is really offensive awful really nasty music but is really affecting my mood so i'm going to be ranting a lot tonight (laughs) (laughs) and that's going to be a top show (laughs) (laughs) well and that was the short version i'm glad i didn't want to get into details there (laughs) but but i have to ask i I, know i'm going to fall into this i have to ask so what does this all have to do with the Red Bull thing that you're, that's happening in Romania that you're not there for? Did you just ride in Romania looking for well, it and haven't found it or what? Well, no, you know, I know exactly where it is. It's just not here. <laughs> on, the one, on the positive side, you could say we're beating the crowds and we're having mountains to ourselves. On a more negative side, you could say we completely misjudged time and distance and hotel accommodation and we missed it completely. <laughs> Ah, I'm getting it. <laughs> now the truth comes it's out. It's a much clearer picture now, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I'll see it next. Week. Well, I'm. Uh, it's it's funny you mentioned that because we're we're traveling right now, and and we've had a couple of run-ins at different camp spots. See, we I've never been one to camp at campgrounds of, of any sort. I just don't like them. I like to wild camp, and I like to be by myself. And we've had a couple of situations now where we've. 
we've just thought, okay, we'll just take a chance. We'll camp in these places where the other people could come in. And the one night we're camped at this spot. It's gorgeous. It's in an old ghost town called Quinell Forks in British Columbia. Beautiful ghost town, partly restored. But it's um, the tourists don't come. It's made for tourists, but they don't come. And there's no one there taking your tag or anything like that. There's no cost to it. So we camp. Nighttime comes. It's just starting to get dark. And a group of people come in. The entire place is empty. There's no one else there but us. They move in right beside us. They set up their camp 10 feet away from our tent. And, and the whole time we're thinking... They're not going to stay, you know. They're not. It's it's a it's a it's a family, right? You know how bad could they be? And we keep making excuses. No, no, they're gonna they're gonna turn that music down. Well, they put music on. Well, it was like two o'clock in the morning, and they were partying hard. They're all drunk. The the parents, the kids. It was the most unbelievable thing for us, and we're fit to be tied at this point. So we're we're sitting there and praying for rain. <laughs> and I'll tell you, the most beautiful thing happened. In the morning, I wake up to a loud crack of thunder. I open my eyes, I look over, and Elizabeth's already awake, and she's smiling. And the bottom just <laughs> opens up. So I get out of bed, I make coffee fast, and I just spend the next 45 minutes watching drowned rats run from a tent that's ill-prepared for rain to back to their vehicle. <laughs> it was a beautiful yeah. end to a terrible evening. See, I can't even wish that because after our conversation we had on the last uh, episode, the three things I've left without, and one was a terrible, terrible mistake, I didn't bring Monklet. Mistake number two was I forgot the keys for my panniers. And mistake number three was I forgot my <laughs> waterproofs. So I can't pray for rain. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Experienced Adventure Rider has gone off very ill-prepared. You forgot the keys to your panniers? Yeah, which is okay because they're unlocked. But I can't lock them, which means I've got to pull everything out of them. Every time I stop. <laughs> Graham, that, that's pretty impressive. Well done. That's well, you know what the thing is? I've got what, a key what? ring that's got this little snap thing together. So you can snap the ignition key onto the rest of the keys. And I thought, what have I got on the first half? I thought, I've got the key for the top box, the key for the lapping fuel tap, and the key for the ignition. What's on the other ones? All the stuff for the old KLR. I don't need to take that. <laughs> uh, trade forks. <laughs> Are you sure you might remember when we were camped um, at Rabbit Flat in the middle of uh, Australia? We set up our beautiful little camp and we sat down and we had our opened our first wine and we're just sitting there relaxing, watching the sunset. And a bloody tourist bus came yes. in, circled yes. around us, covered us in bloody dust, parked right <laughs> beside us, and 40 people got out and set up these little tents all over the place. And then they set up their kitchen and put the light on for their kitchen and it shot straight into our tent. They were the the worst middle. This is the middle of the outback. I mean, they could have camped 40 miles away. No, 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 (laughs) right beside us. Unbelievable. I'm happy to hear that one because... uh, I I experienced... I would just say people are like sheep; they herd together. It's just nice to know that it doesn't just happen to us because we're thinking, like, what is going on? Another morning, woke up to a guy flying a drone over our tent, hovering the drone <laughs> over our tent. It's like, what the hell? You know, who made? Uh, that'll people be one of this? those new X-ray drones. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, like, I hope you were behaving in there, Jim. What are you wearing, Graham? I knew you were going to ask that. Third day on the road, Jim. Sorry, commando. Surely more coffee? Oh. 
I just, it's way too early for that kind of thought, really. <laughs> not here. Not here, it's not. <laughs> oh, he's been in the jacuzzi, look out. <laughs> no, it's full of bloody bachelorettes. <laughs> You're complaining? I was just going to say, what are you complaining there, about? They would say, if I turned up, they'd say, oh, who are you here to pick up, Granddad? <laughs> <laughs> I give, give them a couple of hours, Graham, and they won't notice. A nice reality check that one would be. <laughs> no, I was thinking that could actually make a topic, you know, um, different run-ins and how you deal with camp problems. Like, what did you guys do, Shirley and Brian? What did you do when that when they moved in? What do you say? Uh, I think we poured another glass of wine. We, we, you know, we did ask them to move. Yeah, you go, Shirley. Well, I asked, we asked them to turn the light out, but that wasn't going to happen until they'd all had dinner. So, um, I, well, we just put up with it and had another glass of wine. Brian's pretty right, really. There's not a lot you can do. There were 40 of them and two of us. Mm. Yeah, that's the same sort of thing we did. I've been known to speak up. We were on the ferry to Ireland recently, and there was an area there that they were actually testing, and there was a big sign saying, this area reserved for quiet. The TV was off in the area. It's, it's a quiet area. And this woman marches up with three rugrats, you know, five, six, seven years old. And, of course, the two of the boys are already fighting. And I pointed at the sign and said, this is reserved. This is a quiet area. It's just, oh, that's not fair for the kids. <laughs> what? Sorry, what about us? What did I miss here? This is a quiet area. This is a huge lounge. The thing's gigantic. There's room for 200 people in here. And I've got a like there's a 15 foot by 15 foot area that's the quiet area. Why is it unfair that the kids can't go in that area? But when the, they can go in the entire rest of the place. I don't the question get it. I'm is, sorry. did they leave? You haven't seen my glare. <laughs> yes, they left. <laughs> the husband came along and said, "Let's let's move." She was she didn't want to move. She was quite happy to just sit there. And there was another woman sitting there that was in the quiet area deliberately, and she said, good for you. I said, yeah, that's just not right. I think many people just have different ideas of, of personal space, you know, and especially when it comes to camping in the outdoors. If you're in a spot where you want to go for tranquility and, and just enjoy the wilderness, and, and like Graham says, you know, just enjoy yourself, and then you find out that, the, that somebody moves in and has a party beside you, it's, I don't know, it's, for me, I can't is- even... This is a really small town. If it's a bachelor party, you're pretty sure he's going to be marrying his sister. Could they not do it somewhere else? <laughs> Actually, there's a great ad. There's a great ad on, on Australian television here where two guys uh, set up their camp and uh, they've got their reclining chairs and they're sitting there. They've got their rescue between them. They crack their first period. They're sitting there and a four-wheel drive comes in with mum, dad, the kids, the whole catastrophe. And they've got a boombox. So they turn the boombox on flat out. So mum and dad look at them and move on. Now, that's what we should do. Mm. Just make more noise than them and they'll move. Mm. We we didn't think about that. The drone that came over, I was tempted to to use it for target practice. I really was. I, I thought... I don't. I don't want to be aggressive with this, but should I just start heaving rocks at it? I mean, it's flying, you know, fifteen feet above our heads. Yeah. Last yeah. night, in the place we stayed, we had a barking dog that was barking, which was through the window. And and tonight, we're just looking for a barking dog to drown out the rap music. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'd offer to send you our dog, but he's asleep on the bed at the moment and he's not very interested <laughs> in <laughs> Well, whatever happens, I don't suggest the after show party happens here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep that in mind for the end. <laughs> we'll go to Sam's. He's the one with the whiskey. That's true. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Plenty of that here. And but vodka. Just, and just briefly on the theme of inconsiderate Australian tourists. Um, I just want to air. You started it, surely. Uh, and there was. Uh, we were at Ayers Rock, this is in 91, and uh, it was, we were there for the, parked up for the classic sunset moment, and uh, we were all standing outside of our vehicles, swatting flies, doing what they called the Australian wave, where you wave your hand in front of you, keeping flies away from you, and one guy, one guy pulled up in a car, and he says he was going to stay in his car, with his air condition running, therefore his engine running, so that he wouldn't be disturbed by flies. So while the rest of us are trying to, is trying to experience a once-in-a-lifetime tranquil view of Ayers Rock turning red as the sun set, this guy's sitting in his air-conditioned bliss with his engine running, so he wasn't disturbed by flies, and we were all disturbed by his running engine. He was probably a foreign tourist. Oh, <laughs> cool. yeah. yeah, very good girl. You <laughs> should have just sat in the car with him. We're heading up that way uh, soon, actually, and uh, they've apparently got a field of light that comes in there now, which is is going to look fantastic. Yeah, it's an art installation that's only going until October, and they've got um, solar-powered lights of different colour between that sunset spot, Graham, and the rock. So right. as the sun goes yeah. down, the lights come up. Um, we've seen one photograph of it and some friends of ours have visited and they said it's just amazing mm. to go and have cocktails and watch this field of coloured light come up underneath the rock as the sun goes down. Wow. I'm so glad oh, I'm nice. not there right now. <laughs> <laughs> that to me just what? ruins it completely. This is supposed to be oh, a no, natural, amazing thing. and. I don't know. It's going to look beautiful. It's a, you know, a natural, amazing <laughs> thing with 400 people <clears throat> swatting flies, you know. It's, it'll yeah. look, it, it's supposed to look really lovely. And free selfie sticks. <laughs> <laughs> Changing the subject just slightly, uh-huh. how many of you guys ever stay in um, hostels and so on? You know, with, with dorms and, and the like, yeah. perhaps yeah. 10, 12 uh, people in? No, not me. I am way too old no. to sleep with strangers. Yep. <laughs> no, I've, sure. I've used to do that an awful lot um, in part because of the price um, being so much um, lower in part because of the people that you'd meet and the connections that you'd make but I guess I kind of stopped doing it because um, after a while I just got to the stage where I couldn't hack the the inconsiderate noise maybe that was just me getting a bit older and a bit grumpier but there you um, go. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the day when I can get back into backpackers' hostels because um, carrier bags will be outlawed. And so carrier bags being rustled with enthusiasm Rustle at 3 around. o'clock in the morning ain't going to happen anymore. I can handle well, you, all the rest. If you don't have carrier bags, what are you going to put over the heads of the people who snore at 3 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I normally screw them up and stick them in, people, in my ears. Surely and I have stayed in hostels where you get your own room, which is fantastic. Yeah. And you still yeah. get the the, uh, the, the uh, meeting of people and uh, exchange of ideas and all that sort of stuff, but you have your own room, particularly in South America, they're great. Yeah. Me, yeah, me and Sam have got a mutual friend called uh, Mark Manley, and, and he travels on a budget, and he always stays in hostels. I travel with him through uh, Georgia and uh, Georgia country, not Georgia state. 
And so because I was with him, we, we stayed in the hostel. And I mean, it's for me, something has gone desperately wrong with the plan if I'm in a hostel, because when it nighttime for me is a private time uh, and I don't want to share it with a bunch of other people. And um, but because I was with him and because everything was communal from the breakfast to the everybody sorting out their laundry. So they have one load for the washing machine. I did actually meet a bunch of people who I wouldn't normally have met under my own travel criteria. So I, I agree there are some pluses to it, but I'm, I'm a notoriously light sleeper and I to share a room with a bunch of other people and there's always going to be at least one inconsiderate. And if they're not inconsiderate when they're awake, they're inconsiderate when they're asleep because they're snoring. And for me, that's just not something that's part of my travel plans. Yep, I'll go along with that. We're pretty much the same. I don't know if the people are actually inconsiderate is what was running through my mind. What makes people do these things? And I'm not sure is there is there really being inconsiderate or they just don't have those same values, you know, that they, they just don't have that, that, um, the same manners. They weren't brought up with the same manners or something. I, I don't get, it. I don't know how you could party beside somebody who's camping there already. I don't, uh, to me, I, uh, that's a real stretch for me to say that's that, you know, they were just brought up with him, you know, maybe different, uh, values than me, but maybe that's it. One yeah, of the things that always gets me is always camping is, is, is out, this out of sight. To grumpy old people. <laughs> <laughs> I never want to camp next to somebody else. I'll always camp as far away as I can yeah, for myself same. and for them as well. Same. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think what I've seen, uh, my, my brother, for instance, has three boys. If you can imagine three boys about all about you know, within a year or two of each other, it's a chaos that ensues. But the basic difference between his family, as it were, and mine is that they've always got all kinds of chaos going on. One of the boys is, is watching television, another one's playing video games, another one's doing something else, and then two of them are fighting. And that's normal. So he doesn't even notice it, whereas mm. it drives me insane. Yeah. So it's, it's a very different. And you go to people's houses, and the television is on while you're having a visit. I, I just can't comprehend that. But they don't even notice it because that's what they do all the time. It's like people with kids generally don't notice, oh, the kid's noisy running around being a pain in the ass. They don't notice because that's normal. I used to get really racked off with people who would go into their tents and talk at the top of their voices, as in, oh, well, I'm behind a wall now, so nobody can see me, and therefore nobody can hear me. Um, yeah. And I used to just think, well, come on, guys, use your common sense. This doesn't work. Um, but slowly over the years, I've actually started to find it entertaining. It's amazing what people will talk about when they don't think that anybody's listening to them. <laughs> Some of the conversations, my goodness, if my mother knew I was listening to those things, she'd be shocked. <laughs> Yes, yes, I, I, I can go along with that and then grunting and groaning when they're doing other things uh, drives you crazy. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't going to talk about that. <laughs> Brian, you're very lucky you're in Canberra. You would have copped a clip over the years then. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, we lost Graham. Yes, we did. He's gone to join the party, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's in the jacuzzi. Too much. <laughs> the guys who um, were riding around the world on a motor because Spada, and they'd sold all of the panels and everything else from it and um, made their own aluminium boxes and all that sort of stuff. Um, I wrote an article about them because um, this bike looked a bit like it was um, from the, a Mad Max movie. Um, that's the one with the roof on it. That's the one? And the, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Browns. Yes, um, the Browns. And I, 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 I liked these two because, you know, they'd listened very carefully. They'd asked all of the right questions and then said, okay, 
we know what everybody else thinks that we're supposed to do and but these are the things that we would like to try doing and if they don't work well we'll find out and we'll do something else and they had all sorts of things on this um, in this bike, including the, um, the the cabriolet roof that rolled up or rolled back. Which, <laughs> hey, why not? Um, but um, they also had skis, drop down skis from either side, because this setup was pretty heavy, and they knew that they were going to be riding in sand and probably snow at some stage. So this conversation for you, Brian, that's just made me think of that. You could do with some drop down skis on either side. Yeah, These things yeah. were on hydraulic pumps, so there was enough resistance to stop the bike going over, but not so much resistance that it, they would be inclined to snag on things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, I could put a seal on the back, bottom of the penny and shoot. What do you that's it. Yeah, that's it. If you do any more of these trips at this time of year, that's just what you need. (laughs) We do have two perfectly good cars. I don't know why you're not in one of those, but there you go. He's a motorcyclist, that's why. That's exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So on to our first topic. Jeez, we're, what, 30 minutes into this. We haven't even touched our first topic. But uh, our first topic is budgeting for a trip. And um, some of the things that were mentioned was how much do I need before I can go? Do I need a reserve? If yes, how much? Budgeting obviously is a huge thing, and I know you guys will all have lots of information for this. But but let's talk about it from the perspective of people who haven't done a trip yet and haven't went through the whole budgeting process. Maybe don't even understand how they're going to tackle it because I, I just spoke with somebody recently who was planning a big trip and they hadn't worked through their budget yet, and that's that's a, a big deal for um, figuring out how you're going to make it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you, Jim. I, I, um, we initially started to work on uh, a dollar figure a day and tried to work our budget that way, but I think it depends where you're travelling. For example, you know, if you're in uh, Norway, it's bloody expensive country to get around and try and uh, fuel your bike, feed yourself and uh, get yourself a bed for the night. But then if you go to India, it's as cheap as chips. So I think you really have to think seriously about where you're going and uh, as I said we started with the daily budget and we just raised that when we ran out of money we'd say okay we'll make that $150 a day instead (laughs) (laughs) yeah sounds familiar (laughs) yeah I mean you've got to do that haven't you you can give yourself um, a figure that you hope you're going to work to but the reality is that some days you don't spend anything like it and other days you spend um, you can spend loads more I think um, the keys for somebody wanting to set their budget for the first time is work out what their their priorities for the the trip are, as in what sort of lifestyle do they want to have? Do they want to stay in nice hotels or camping sites and backpackers hostels? Do they want to go and see particularly spectacular things where they're going to have to pay a lot of money to see them? Um, What sort of distance do they want to ride? Um, How long do they actually want to stay out on the road for? And, of course, there's that old thing, how much beer do you want to drink? Because, of course, (laughs) it can be a budget breaker. But I think if people start working out what they want out of the trip and then start having a look at the individual countries to find out what the facts are as far as cost of living is concerned. With the internet, it's so easy now, isn't it, You know, to to look up a country and find out how much fuel is going to be. Well, once you start knowing those sorts of figures, because fuel in many places is um, a, a keen budget thing, then they can start working out what the budget's going to be. And I think um, it's also things like what bike you're riding, isn't it? Because some bikes are thirsty little beasts, yet other bikes will, you know, you can do 100 miles and still not get the, the gauge on the fuel yeah. and tank wobbling. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. 
I was looking at something that Chris Scott had posted on Twitter the other day, and it was a map showing which countries of the world you need to have a carne now for. And that was really interesting. It was the first time I'd seen something like this. And that made me aware of how many countries there are in the world now that you don't need to have a carne. But of course, for the countries that you need to have a carne, wow, that's, that's going to significantly affect your budget, isn't it? Okay. Um, Again, depending on what sort of bike you've got. Yep. You know, the, the value of your bike and all the rest of it. You're right, Sam. That's spot on. There is a couple of pages on HU where there is everything you could ever want to know about carnets, including which countries require it. And that's updated regularly by all kinds of people. Oh, I need to go and look at that. It's a while since I've been there. Yeah. Thanks, Grant. I think for somebody who's also planning a trip, then it's learning how much visas are for individual countries for their own um, you know, their own nationality. Uh, Irish, for example, they can go into all sorts of places um, and pay buttons for a visa in comparison to Brits or Americans. Kiwis do pretty well on, on the price of visas, don't they? And I guess you, yeah. um, Aussies do too, don't they? We do well, in some places and other places we get. It's a tit-for-tat thing. If Australia charges them, they charge us. Mm. Well, for for example, we, we came into Panama and uh, we, you know, we had to fly a bike in and us. And we thought, we'd, yeah, we're hunky-dory, no problem. We'll get a one-way ticket and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, ride out the other side. Uh, coming from Colombia... And we go to the airport and we had to buy a return flight because Australia won't allow uh, Panamanians to come into our country without an on-forwarding ticket. So it's tit for tat. So uh, we had to get a refund. Yeah, yeah. So you really have to do your research and even even we researched pretty well, but we we got caught out. Yeah, Americans uh, require most people, most countries, I think all countries, in fact, except Canadians, to do an iris scan when they come in. Well, now Brazil requires Americans only to do an iris scan when they enter Brazil. Yeah. So you see, I used to look at visa costs as a, a case of, uh, all right, which country is, have our politicians pissed off this time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the other thing with visas is what currency you'll need to pay for them. Because it's frustrating when you get to the border and you think, well, I'll use local currency, but they'll only accept euro or US dollars. So part of your budget needs to be keeping a portion of your money available in cash in a in a hard currency like the US dollar or the euro. Yeah, we always made a point of carrying enough money uh, as a reserve on us, scattered around in various places, of course, like in your boots and various pockets and on the bike, uh, $1,000 US at all times. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is exactly what Shirley was just saying. Um, you need to be able to pay in something that they will like, and virtually nobody anywhere turns down U.S. dollars. And also for us, for something that uh, was really important when we first headed out, because we were heading off into the really wild unknown in Central America, was if it all goes to hell in a handbasket, we can take our $1,000, walk to the airport, and buy a ticket to anywhere and get out, no matter what. So that was a real comfortable thing and we, we still tell people if you're nervous about traveling make sure you've got that chunk of cash that you can walk into an airport and buy a ticket even if it's just to the next country it doesn't have to be home it's just got to be enough to get you out of the country and that makes a lot of people feel a lot more comfortable that they can do that totally totally agree grant that's what we always do as well that thousand bucks um it's uh, as a safety barrier it's so important it's um, nice knowing you've got it even if you never use it yep yeah yeah. Mm. Although one little tip, 
make sure you don't put that thousand dollars anywhere near your bike battery. You know what's funny? I was I was just thinking that. That's <laughs> odd. You should say I would, that was just running through my mind <laughs> where you were storing well, this. I was thinking about the the battery story. Yeah, well, I can tell you, Uva and Ramona. I won't go any further into details. Were on their last chunk of cash in middle of Africa, and they went to get it out, and they'd stashed it in a couple of Ziploc bags underneath the battery. Well, it was now black ash, totally <laughs> gone, all of it. <laughs> so don't go anywhere near your battery with your money. It's very bad, especially if that's the last place. <laughs> Dear idea. Easy to laugh at, but it's one of those things that, you know. Well, that, you can imagine the thought in their head. Oh, we're, we're down to, you know, our last few hundred dollars oh. and we're fine. We'll pull it out and, oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> or words to that effect. <laughs> Brian mentioned something else that can affect um, budgets quite a lot in a sideways sort of way. And that's shipping and freighting costs. And I think somebody yes. who's looking at um, planning their budget needs to be thinking about how they're going to cross oceans and countries where they're not allowed to get into. And that, again, is relatively straightforward to find out costs for doing that sort of thing. But it can form quite a large chunk of a, um, a budget, can't it? Oh, very much so. And uh, there, are, there are ways around it. I mean, we, uh, we had to fly our bike from Kathmandu to Bangkok. Mm-hmm. And the cost of building a crate was 30 US dollars. A guy came and measured up the bike and all that sort of stuff. Fine, no problem. We get to Singapore and we're going to freight the bike, fly it from Singapore to Darwin. They wanted 300 US dollars to build a crate. So I said, no way. I just went to the airport and they threw it into one of those uh, aluminium containers, strapped it down. There was a little take to take over the fact that they wanted to lay the bike on its side in the in the a container. I said, no, you won't. So uh, it uh, was strapped down on its side stand and uh, there are ways around it. You know, you just need to, to think about that. But I wasn't going to pay 300 US dollars for a bit of wood. Yeah, good grief. How far, how many, how many miles of, of gas can you get with $300? Some <laughs> countries you can get right one side across them, can't you? Exactly. It would have got yeah. us from Singapore to Darwin. Yeah. yeah we yeah, crossed easy. Libya on about $10 worth of fuel total. Yeah, for all of Libya. Nice. You were talking about having extra money for seeing exciting places. I think that is a really important thing to budget for. As we've met travellers, one couple in particular, who were in Sumatra and didn't have enough money to see the orangutans. And I just, you're not going to be back there in a fortnight. So if there's yeah. something you really want to see, you want. <laughs> We have now heard from Graham. The Martians have landed. You have to keep that in, Jim. You have to keep it in. Definitely. It sounds like he's been to the bachelor party. It's just like he just came out of the crypt, you know. You I wish I had just taken a a mouthful of coffee when he did that. <laughs> Graham, we know you're there. Did I miss anything? Uh, <laughs> not much. Well, we're 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 talking about budgeting for your trip. Bastards, <laughs> turn the internet off. I'm actually I'm using roaming data now. Talk quickly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try and talk in short bursts. Hopefully, that will save you money. Good. 
Why would they turn the internet off? Oh, I just heard it about orangutans. That's all I heard. I thought, where was that? Hello, hello. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? We're talking about budgeting for a trip. We were just discussing, which I thought was interesting, though. All you guys started talking about had nothing to do with fuel and food because that's the first thing everybody talks about when they talk about budgeting is fuel and food. It's like this daily cost you get in your mind. But all the things you guys have been talking about have been extra costs, costs that you wouldn't really think of in your planning yeah. unless you really got in deep. And they're the ones that are going to get you into trouble, the things you don't think about before you go. So you do need to take a really long think about everything you're going to have to spend money on while you're away. Yeah, you always have to have a pretty healthy reserve. For us, the really the classic one was we were in Namibia, realizing we're running out of money, heading to South Africa, and then we said, "Well, okay, how do we get home to Canada?" Hmm. So I'm thinking of this map of the world and thinking, you know, South America's on the way. And Susan says, "Yes, but we're out of money." South America's on the way, so that's what we did. We went to South America, and then we get to South America, and which way's Canada? North. Which way did we go? south and we got to ushuaia and discovered when we were there that we could get a boat to antarctica cheap like half price and it was going in a few days cool well what are credit cards for eh <laughs> but we went to antarctica that was five grand in the hole but wow. there's yeah, no way to go to antarctica though exactly that's the yeah. point i love the way you, you talk about running that. out of money you make it sound like you're running low on fuel so we were running out of money i mean you're just going to go back and get some more where do you get more money especially five grand with that kind of money that's what credit, credit card for, Jim. <laughs> you, don't you know uh, how to use I'm credit cards you, you, you have credit cards and i did a big trip with the credit card and i came back and i was just burned from this credit card and it took me three years to pay it off um, and I had a, a really good trip, but the next three years sucked big time. It was like walking around with handcuffs on, my arms behind my back, so my, my, my ankle shackled, and I've never done it since. Um, well, that's um, definitely the credit the cards are there to get me out of out of trouble if I absolutely absolutely drop right in it. But um, I'm very nervous about using credit cards for for other things. Yes. But maybe I'm just stuffy. No, no, no. I'm, I'm with you, Sam. I'm with you, and Shirley was a little bit flippant for having said that because um, we don't do that. We'll use our credit cards. You pay it off. You make sure you've got the reserves to fix it up. Um, yeah. You know, if you're going to do your trip like that, it's it, it's right. It's like a millstone around your neck when you get back. Yeah, we only did it the once. Always, otherwise, we've always had a, a good, healthy reserve. But this was the coming to the end of a two-year round-the-world trip, and. You're in Antarctica. Just do it. I don't care what yep. it costs. Worth it. Yep. Um, it's like the Australian couple I won't mention and who everybody here knows well. They made it all the way to Nordcap, got to the gate, and were told what the entry fee was and turned around and went south. <laughs> uh, I know exactly who that is. Oh, you know who it is. Yes, Come on. You're at Nordcap. It was like 60 or 70 euros each. So what? You're there. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you know, the real problem yeah, like, I have with credit cards is that, and I tell my kids this because the, the credit cards are the companies, they're hunting young kids. They want to get them started early so they can get them on the, on the payment plan. Once you get used to making the payment plan, you just do it for the rest of your life. The problem with a credit card, the real problem I see is that you always turn to the path of least resistance when you run into trouble. And if that's your pocket, then you'll reach your pocket. If, if maybe you've got somebody you can turn to for it, then you'll turn to somebody. Or if you've got a credit card, you'll turn to it. And it's what happens afterwards that is really the problem because the credit card is easy to run up to do something. Yeah. But it's real money. 
And to try and pay that off can sometimes be uh, just, well, like Sam said, there's this huge task. Yeah. yeah. Look, there are cards and cards. The, the one that we were using now is a 28 degrees one, which uh, Cheryl can tell you more about that. Oh, it doesn't charge you for um, transferring currency to currency because so many credit cards, you um, you buy something overseas and then they charge you to convert that back to your home currency for your payments, whereas this um, 28 degrees card, which we were put onto by people who don't want to go to Nordcap, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it worked out very cost-effective for us. But Brian's right. We pay off our credit card when the bill comes in. So we always make sure we save hard before we go on the trips. Um, we put money aside for emergencies and we always have, um, I don't know, a, a relative at home we could borrow from if everything turns pear-shaped. Yeah, that's handy. What's the relative's name? Can I get that information as well? <laughs> oh no, I'm keeping him for us. <laughs> I was going to say telephone number, address, email address, please. Yeah. Yeah, just say it quietly. Don't want nobody else over here. <laughs> I don't know what everybody else thinks, but for me, um, when I'm planning a budget, I take into account um, a hard-learned lesson, and that is um, taking it very, very slowly and very gently for the first six weeks of a trip, because. When we're setting off on a trip, having been working and in real life in inverted commas, those first weeks we're still traveling with that real life mentality um, of get things done now and yeah, okay, I'll buy a coffee that costs me three pounds, four dollars, whatever. Um, and it's very easy to burn through a huge amount of money in those first six weeks by trying to keep up with the must do it now pace. And I find that if I take it very slowly and very gently um, for those first six weeks, I don't cover necessarily an awful lot of ground, but it really helps me wind my neck in and change my mental attitude towards what I'm spending and how I'm spending it. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Graham, we haven't heard from you. <laughs> there. And that's There's a poignant irony to this conversation. I am on a trip, you know better, to have this conversation, and I've just got a text from my network saying I've already spent five pounds while I've listened to you talking for about five minutes. <laughs> I'm really sorry, but I can't continue this conversation. This is outrageously expensive. Indeed. The internet's gone off. There's some unshaven, skinny hipster youth who's turned off the music to shine his mobile phone at a router that isn't working, and I just can't wait for him to get his finger out and deal with this shit. So I'm really sorry I'm going to have to leave this conversation now and uh, see you next month. Well, Graham, hey, there you go, but yes, that's, that's ridiculous. Yep. But if, if you can we find the internet connection again, then join back in. Take care, okay. Graham. Ciao, ciao, Cheers, people. Mate. Bye. Bye. Well, that's life on the road, hey? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, five pound to listen to us waffle on. Boy, oh boy, that's pretty tough. Yeah, can we rewind everything we just said to, to, to get his bill back? But <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he tried, hey? Yeah, roaming yeah. data. Boy, yes. that can really get you, can it? That's something yeah. people should think about when they're traveling is their communication because you take the phone from home and put it on roaming and your 12-month adventure could be over in six weeks. Mm. Yeah. yeah. My we've phone is set well. to not roam, period. I do not roam no matter no. what. Get Just a local SIM card. Ridiculous. They, they really yeah. stick it to you and it's, it's quite bad when you can buy the data locally dirt cheap and yet they charge you so much for it. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. definitely yeah. problems with roaming. Uh, we always buy a local SIM everywhere we go. Just, yep, I mean, that's what we do too. Well, I was going to do that with his last trip to the United States. I've got an iPhone. Um, I bought it in England. You can't use iPhones in the United States with US SIM cards. How's you US on that? You can't use uh, the, the US is a different system to everybody else. No, and, uh, it's, it's partly different. Phones no. can work on both. We've got phones that work in Australia, US, Canada, and UK and Europe. But you've got to have the right phone. Not all phones do have that. So you've really got to watch um, your the megahertz and all kinds of technical stuff that I don't even want to think about going into. But uh, there are phones that do have all the various bands that all the countries use. But you've got to pick it. And iPhone's one of the worst for not doing that. The phone we we've just, got that we just got recently has actually two SIMs, SIM slots in it. So we, when we're traveling, we have our local SIM in it, um, Susan's phone number, and also a um, wherever we are SIM. So we can receive calls on both SIMs to, on the same phone. Yeah, and we were in the US. We just bought a really cheap phone at Walmart or somewhere with a local SIM card, and that worked out because we were going to be there for several months. It worked out very cost-effective. Are you buying prepaid or setting up an account? No, 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 no buying prepaid. prepaid. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's what I'm going to do next time. This last trip, I was to the states. One of the British providers had this amazing mega deal, 16 countries in the world, US being one of them, where they guarantee that they will link to whichever service provider is the strongest wherever you are. Mm-hmm. What twaddle. Absolutely, yeah. complete yeah. Yeah. rubbish. Do you know, after the first week, I couldn't even make or receive telephone calls with this thing. I was, um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be very British here. I was slightly miffed. <laughs> <laughs> But your photos on Facebook were great, mate. They looked really good. Yeah, they did. And were they taken with a camera? Yes. On the phone? Um, some with the camera, but mostly with the phone. Mm. Um, absolutely awesome trip. Um, th- that part of the world is just gobsmackingly gorgeous to travel in. There's so much to see, isn't there? And um, I just kept meeting, meeting really interesting people. Um, so, yeah, no, awesome. Absolutely superb. Very lucky guy. You know, we were talking about uh, budgeting for the trip and everything, and I'm glad you guys brought up all these other things because it's it's so different from what you hear people discussing on average. Usually, like I said, they're talking about food and fuel. That seems to be everybody's concern. But I was going to mention bike as well. I was just speaking with somebody who's changing. They're, they're, they're riding a KLR, and they're going to change up from the KLR possibly to a BMW. And the thing that popped into my mind is the difference in price in the bike itself. Like for the KLR, you know, you can get a, a rear tire for it for probably a, under $100. For the BMW, you're going to be paying 180 maybe over 200 depending on what you're getting. A, a chain and sprocket set for the KLR might run you 150 It'll probably be 350 on the, the BMW, and I'm saying F800. Um, what I'm thinking is, you know, somewhat comparable bike. So it's probably really important to think about the bike that you're going to take. And, and you guys also mentioned the cost of the Carnet. Yeah, um, Carnage is a um, big one. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm glad you brought up this subject of spares, Jim, because I, I had that on my on my tick list as well. 
this to me is one of the reasons why before you set off on a trip you make sure that your bike is in tip-top condition because the cost of sending spare parts out to places the chance of them of arriving i mean yeah use couriers they t- they seem to be so much more reliable than um than the postal system does but just arranging them you know when you're at home you can be hunting around for um secondhand parts and um special offers and all of the rest of it but when you're on the road you haven't got time to be doing that if you need a spare part you need it now and that means that you're paying top dollar for it um but as you say just the difference between um the cost of the spare parts due to the 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 type of bike you're on um it, it can make a massive difference to your budget yeah. If you're on a serious budget, you got to you you want to make sure that you're on something inexpensive to start with, and that's where the, probably the most important place to start. The cost of the bike in the first place is going to make a massive difference. You take a KLR versus a 1200 BMW, or even an F800 BMW, and you've probably got the difference of three months travel or more. So that makes a big difference. Plus, if you're going to a country that needs carnet, your carnet is going to be way more expensive because it's all based on a percentage. Of the value of the bike the the real thing on bikes i mean which, let's let's not try and get into which bikes but the basic philosophy that i have is when somebody asks me and i'm asked all the time what's the best bike or what bike should i take for this trip and i say what do you got and they tell me what they've got and i say do you like it and they say yeah then that's the perfect bike to take yeah. any bike will do it any bike will go around the world i mean jacques lucas has done it on an r1 for lord's sake people have done it on c90s people have done it on 50 cc step throughs people have done around the world on gold wings and as we all know on harley electric glides it doesn't matter what the bike is do you like it and does it fit your budget since that's what we're talking yeah. about yeah, yeah, getting back to the budget, and, and uh, we've found that, uh, yeah, I ride a BMW, and I love riding my bike, and uh, it's a great bike to ride, but I don't have a lot of uh, OEM um, replacement parts like the rotors and things like that are, uh, are aftermarket, which is probably half or a third of the price, things like that yeah. that we're at. Um, and uh, when I get a valuation for my bike now, which is done over... 235,000 kilometres and it's never been touched, never been cracked open. Um, that's what you pay your money for. But my bike is now valued when I go and value it for a carnet at about $5,000. So you get a valuation from a, a friendly uh, dealer and that's good enough for carnet. Yeah, although there is a catch depending. Uh, in theory, the carnet issuing authority is supposed to use some semblance of a blue book value. And if the blue book value or whatever, I mean, I think in the UK it's a red book or something, um, but a standard body that says this is the value of bikes for trade-in value, they're supposed to use that value. And if the declared value by the owner, like Brian, is too far different, then they're supposed to use the higher value. That's what they're supposed to to do. It has to be done by a, um, a dealer. You just can't write in a piece of paper. I think my no. bike's worth two and six. Oh yeah, but dealers it's can lie, be an especially if they're your buddies. Dealer. Doesn't matter. It's not to lying, Grant. It's books. stretching the truth, maybe. <laughs> yes, I know it is. <laughs> it's adjusting for it's removing the sentimental value of your motorcycle, right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, sentimentally, is. your bike's worth a fortune. <laughs> you guys had already mentioned. <laughs> just something to think about. You guys had already mentioned the reserve and saying that you, you thought $1,000 was a, a good chunk of money to have on reserve. I, I'm still sort of curious. 
how are you coming up with, I mean, are you, have you guys actually sat down and figured out your cost of your visa, your cost of your flights, the whole bit, and sort of come up with a, a dollar figure and say, okay, it's going to cost me between twenty-five and $45,000, that sort of thing before you go? Nope. No. No, no, we didn't do it before we went. We just worked out where we wanted to go, what we wanted to do, what we wanted to see, and thought, okay, well, we, we'll allow – um, it was tens of thousands of dollars for this trip. And in the end, we didn't spend as much as we thought we would. Hmm. Yeah. You can't, that can but we're happen. probably the worst ones to talk to because, you know, budget um, is a very fluid thing for us. The first trip we did, um, Brian was on long service leave, so we were getting paid. The second one we did, we just saved like crazy and we had a lot of um, money available to us. And as Brian said, we actually came home with money. So um, I don't like going places and getting to the gate of Nordcap and not paying money to go in. So mm. I like to have extra. And I'd rather um, really cut back on stuff before we go to make sure there's extra there. And if you budget for spending what you'd spend at home with some extra on top, you're usually going to be pretty right. I think that's a very fair way of judging it. I mean, all the things we've been talking about, uh, no, I don't look at all of those things when I'm working out what I'm likely to be spending. Um, mostly because, well, I've perhaps done my bigger trips when um, it's not been so easy to access the information. Um, shorter trips, yeah, I have a look at it. So, for example, going to Norway, we'd heard so um, how expensive Norway was, so we spent a fair bit of time looking at hotel prices and um, fuel prices, food prices, camping site prices, etc., etc., so that we could come up, oh, and ferries, so that we could come up with an idea about how much the trip was going to cost us. Um, once we got that figure in our mind, we didn't we didn't bother to break it down into a um, a daily routine figure. Um, we just knew that we'd got X amount of money to spend, and if we were careful, um, then living within um, our mental budget, as in we knew we needed to do a fair bit of wild camping, we knew we needed to stay on camping sites if we wanted to have a shower, um, those sorts of things, um, then. Our budget, our, our, our total figure for the trip was going to be fine. I was talking to a chap a couple of days ago, and I said to him, because um, he's just gone across um, Central Asia, and I asked him how much um, he ended up spending going across Central Asia, and he did it for a year and a half. Um, and uh, he said that he was spending between um, 30 and 45 US dollars a day all in. So that's his travel insurance, his shipping and freighting, his accommodation, his fuel, his food, um, just absolutely everything that he was going to be coming across on the road that needed money spending on it, um, that was what he was um, looking at doing. And um, we said, okay, well, let's just have a look and see what that is for a year. So 365 days, multiply it by the $30. So he spent um, just under $11,000 US for that year. Um, and he but said, that's, I could have lived cheaper than that. But that's Central Asia. Mm, that's yeah. Central Asia. True. You true. know, where you're, where you're paying $12 at a hostel for bed, breakfast and dinner. Whereas in Norway, you're paying for a cheap um, cabin at a campground, the equivalent of 250 Australian dollars. Yep. So okay, well, it's, 
It's a, you really need to look at where you're going. And Absolutely. we come from Australia is a very expensive country to live in and to travel around and to buy food. So a lot of the places that we visit on trips, you get to Norway and it's more expensive than Australia. In Central Asia, you just can't believe how cheap it is. So if you're doing a long trip, it evens itself out. You'll do some expensive countries and other countries where you'll be surprised how cheap things are. Yep. The yeah. trick is to make sure you don't spend too much time in the expensive countries. We spent way too much time in Europe on our trip, and that we regret that now because you can always go back later. Uh, we would have had more time in Central America or, sorry, in um, Africa and South America if we had spent less time and less money in Europe. Europe's yeah. just so expensive. And that, that brings up the, the subtopic we had here of stretching your budget. So, by the way, somebody with a microphone with a beard, who has a beard? Who doesn't have a beard? Surely. Surely. I don't have a beard, so it's not me. And I don't have a beard. Must be B. Must be B. Somebody my microphone must have got tangled up in my beard. <laughs> <laughs> see, see what I have to live see with? See if you can find it. We do feel sorry for it, Shirley. Don't worry. <laughs> Thanks, I think I've got but, but that brings up the, the, the subtopic of stretching your budget and, uh, and ideas on how to make your dollar more than just a dollar. And, and one of them could be hanging out at an inexpensive area, right? If you find a place to wild camp, it's costing you very little to stay there. Hang out and enjoy it. Yeah. Well, that's one way of doing it. But when you're doing a trip, you want to travel. Well, sometimes you want it's to, good to you, stay. You, you need to take a break, too. I mean, you can't you do drive need to take every a break. day all day. No, we always take big breaks. I'm thinking yep. you want to get to know these areas because, like, I know for me, for traveling around, like, we're, we're traveling right now just w within our country, we like to stop and get to know the areas that we're in a little bit. Hang on a little bit. There's just something about, you know, spending enough time to become familiar with an area that, um, I don't know, it just, it, to me, it just makes it a little bit richer experience. And the faster and that's, you travel, and the, the farther you go, the more expensive it is. If you go slowly and you stop and you stay and you buy food in the local market and cook it yourself, that's way cheaper than hitting a restaurant every day because you're moving so fast you don't have time to stop. Mm -hmm. You yeah. do need to stop. You need to take a break. You need to enjoy the places. And sometimes places that you're going to want to enjoy are going to be expensive. You can't just say, I've found a cheap place. I'm going to stay here. Mm -hmm. There are plenty yeah, of places true. that are expensive that you still need to absorb the culture and, uh, and the beautiful scenery and and that's what you want to plan for. Otherwise, you end up going on a trip and not being able to go see, you know, the, the site exactly. that's at the end of the, the yeah. trail, so to speak. I, exactly. I think the part that, that goes with that, the most important part where that seems to get missed is if you've got a certain amount of money to spend, the trick is not to go as far as you can. It's to go at an appropriate distance for your budget that you're comfortable with, that you're having a good time, you're seeing the things you want to see, and you're not scrimping and saving so much that you're missing out on NordCap. Um, exactly. And, and basically, when you run out of money, you go home instead of saying, well, I'm going to do this trip and I'm going to spend 10 cents a day because that's all I've got. You can't do that. Enjoy the trip. Make the trip worthwhile. Make it memorable. Make it fun. Have a good time. Do the things that are important to see and save the rest for another time. Sam, how yep. about some tips for stretching your budget? Um, just one comment on what Grant's just said there before I, before I do that. And, he, you know, he's talking about the distance to ride and so on and um, spending money according to the to the budget that you've actually got. I couldn't agree more with that. Um, 
I think there are, it's, it's one of the hard things when people are looking about the amount of money that they've got and the amount of time they've got and where ideally they would like their dreams to take them. And this again goes back to my thing, you know, just take it easy for the first weeks and slow down and, and take it steady. And it fits in with what everybody has just been saying about actually taking time out to stop and look at places and to spend longer in them. Um, because, you know, you can spend all of your time riding past the stuff that you may never see again just mm -hmm. for the sake of being on the move and you may end up staying in places where um, you're spending no money but you're not seeing hardly anything at all um, yeah, so it's, it's a real constant common sense balance and those those breaks from the road are really important because you can get to the stage where you've you've ridden yourself into a rut a, a budget rut um, and that means that, you know, you've got your blinkers on and you're chogging along and you're doing what you think's right. And then you stay in one place for a while and all of a sudden you think, yeah, but I've not seen this and I've ridden past that and I could have looked at that and I should have stopped there and taken that, yes. that roll of film or whatever else it might have been. Um, so those breaks are really important. But making money as you're traveling. Now, this is one of my, my pet loves because um, not only does it help keep you on the road, but it introduces you to all sorts of possibilities. You meet new people, you learn new skills, um, just, yeah, fantastic things. Um, I've always traveled on a tight budget. And so I'm always looking for ways um, to make little bits of money as I'm going. And um, for example, in Zimbabwe, I bought plain white T-shirts. They cost me absolutely buttons. When I got down to Cape Town, I bought a, a load of fabric paint. I painted designs on the front of T-shirts and then went down and sat on the edge of the market in Cape Town. And every time a cruise liner came in, these T-shirts, which had probably cost me about 75 cents to, altogether to do, maybe a little bit more than that, um, I was selling for $20. Wow. And um, I was meeting some really interesting people. Um, not necessarily the people off the cruise ships, but the people that were on the stalls beside me. These guys all had very interesting stories. And if I hadn't done that, then I would never have learned about this aspect of life in Cape Town. Another job that I did was I was watching people doing hair braids, you know, hair wraps with, with um, embroidery threads. And I sat and watched and I learned how to do it. And then I was doing hair braids in people's hair, um, guys and girls. And I was earning a fortune by doing that. And the beauty of that was that these threads took up almost no space. So virtually everywhere I went, I could just set up with a bit of cardboard and a chair. And I was making my dollars, my, my cents turn into dollars very quickly by doing that. When we traveled up through um, or down through Africa, we bought all sorts of ebony carvings, little just pendant type things and soapstone. We posted those to the States. Um, when we were coming up through South and, um, South and Central America, we were buying leather plats and leather thongs and um, silver wire and that sort of stuff and posted those to the States. And when we got there, we had a, a jewelry making session and as we traveled on round then we were selling the dependents and the people that we were meeting just purely and simply because of that contact of, of turning the cents into dollars again was fantastic it just gave us a complete new aspect to the trip and the money earned meant that we managed to eat better and stay in nice places and so on 
Do you know that there's, I'm going to be talking about something much more high powered. If you know somebody who knows their way around finances, um, then just make sure that the funds that you have got are always kept in high end earning interest accounts while you're traveling. Um, and, you know, that person who is helping you at home with that, they know that they keep an eye on your on the road bank balance so that they just drip feeding out of those high interest accounts into your on the road access account. And that works for you in, in two ways. Not only does it mean that you've got that better interest rate that your money is earning, um, your wedge, um, but it also means that you've not got a large amount of money in your bank account at any one particular time. So if you do get scammed, um, then the chances are they're not actually going to, to rob your account of a huge amount of money. Yeah. yeah. Well, nowadays you can do most of that on the road anyway yourself, mm -hmm. um, which, which we've done. Um, but you're right. You don't have a lot of money in your working account. So if you do lose your credit card with that with, with that's uh, linked to, uh, the, the chances of it uh, being draining every red cent you've got are minimal. Any other tips yep. for stretching the budget? Well, I guess you could travel with Brian because he never lets me spend as much money as I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> that's because you're always trying to buy stuff that doesn't fit in the panniers, and you've already got the larger Correct. pannier. Correct. But there's post offices. I don't know why all you people have an issue with shopping. <laughs> Every country has a post office. It's a bit tricky from Russia, but we've posted home from everywhere, even Antarctica. Okay, my thing with shopping here is the idea of shopping, it means that what you're doing is you're going to look for things to spend your money on. And I've never understood that. I think of what do I need? I get it in my head, maybe write a list, and I go to the store and I get it. If I wander around aimlessly, I buy things that I didn't want to begin with, so why, why would I buy them? It doesn't make sense. But just we go looking for souvenirs. You didn't know they were there. That's it. Mm. Souvenirs are different. You you see yeah, totally. something that the locals use, and every time when you've got that at home, every time you look at it, you think, "I remember that country, those people," and it it brings back wonderful, wonderful memories. But you could pick yeah. up a, like a stone from the beach, or maybe you know a, a piece of driftwood, and you can get the same sort of thing. It'll spring back the same memories. It's just something to trigger a memory. Well, and it didn't cost yeah, yeah, I've got a, I've got a very interesting sitting in our library, which is, a, which is a war club from Tonga. That's very handy. <laughs> Jim, yeah, please don't got... talk to Birgit. She collects enough stones and bits of wood already. Oh, sorry. Yeah, local handicrafts. We've got rugs that we've bought in places, wall hangings, tapestries. Yeah, that's, that's good to get. Really beautiful stuff. I've got a number of wood carvings. Now, here's a really important tip that we figured out the hard way, the long way. Uh, we bought a bunch of various carvings and stuff like that in Central America and that all went into storage immediately because we then went to Australia and lived there for a while and did some more traveling and everything else and then we went through Africa and we bought some more wood carvings from the locals and then finally eventually the day came when we unpacked all of that stuff and we were looking at a, car a couple of things a nice little wooden box and a nice little carving of a person and going which country did we buy those in? <laughs> we don't even know which continent we bought them in. <laughs> so here's our tip now. Whenever we buy something like that, on the bottom, we write with a pen or whatever, what country we bought it in. Yeah. Otherwise, you feel like such a muppet. Good tip. Good advice. But I've got some really cool stuff up there, though. It's really good. And when, and when you post stuff home, you, we post stuff home and I'd open the parcel and think, did I buy that for someone or for myself? 
Oh, well, I'll keep it. <laughs> yep. Good, yeah. I'm just thinking about the fun of bargaining for these things and oh, yeah, fitting totally. with what Shirley was saying about the memories, the people that you met and all of that sort of stuff. And, of course, bargaining for anything. It takes time, but, my goodness, it can help your budget and yes. give you a lot of fun. And it can help you budget, but don't you feel bad at the end of the day that you've wasted an hour of your life haggling over the equivalent of 50 cents? You think, oh, just let them have it. No. They've got to make a living too. Um, See, you she's going to make me pause. She keeps going on like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to what was will be our final topic for today, and that's the all-encompassing topic of tires. Oh God. <laughs> We're going to talk about which brand is the absolute best, which is better than everything else. And that everyone should buy. No, we're not. We're obviously not going to. I think Shirley should start. What do you know about tires, Shirley? Yeah, Shirley. What do I know about tires? They're black They're and black. they go on the motorbike. And sometimes they don't stick on the road. And when they don't stick on the road, that's very unfortunate because you go sideways. And sometimes the air in them comes out. And that's also unfortunate because you can spend a lot of time trying to get the air back in them. That's it. I'll leave you guys to it now. <laughs> that was but really interesting surely, that, though, was that you ride with Brian and you happen to say that one of the one of the first things you notice is that sometimes they lose traction on the road. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yep. I've been the road half a dozen times. It's not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> so tires, the big thing with them, of course, is is obviously traction. You want a tire that's going to be really good for you in a bunch of circumstances. And I know that it's going to matter what you're planning to do for a trip. Obviously, if you're going to stay on the pavement, that dictates a certain kind of tire. If you're planning on doing a lot of dirt, it's another kind of tire. The big thing with tires is you want them to last, right? So, I mean, what sort of wisdom do you guys have in tires that you found that have sort of suited your riding style? I'll throw in a quick comment on your, do you want them to last? You also want them to stick to the road, as Shirley says. Mm. There's, there's, it's a trade-off between lasting and stick. Yep. Take your pick. You, yep. you can't have both. It just isn't, doesn't work that way. So I tend to go for traction because I figure if I'm sliding down the road because I went cheap on a tire or went for a tire that lasts but doesn't have any traction, that's way more expensive than a slightly more expensive tire that doesn't last quite as long. Mm. Yeah, I was just describing yeah. that the other day as a as a slider. You know, and on one side of it, you've got high traction and fast wear. On the other side, you've got low traction and long wear. And as you slide back and forth, you're not going to meet them up. They don't meet up. Nope, they don't, for sure. So, well, I, I think tire technology is getting better and better all the time. And, oh, uh, yeah. The, uh, the fact that you know, I run uh, Anarchies on my BMR, and um, when we went to Europe, I used the Anarchies all the way. We got about... I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head, 22,000 kilometres out of the tyres. And remember, we're fully loaded. We weigh about 500 kilos when we're travelling. And to me, that's fantastic out of uh, mm. uh, one set of tyres. But then when we moved into, uh, we're heading into Russia, and I know it's going to get a bit uh, rough and rugged on the roads, um, we swapped the tyres, even though they had a bit of life in them, swapped them to hide now um, uh, scouts. And uh, I like those because they're a hard-wearing tyre, but they are not a tyre for wet, um, wet roads. No, uh, they're, they're not, are they? Hard. And the other problem – no, they're not, Jill. Okay, Dale. <laughs> 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 but, um, There's a story there. <laughs> <laughs> there is indeed. 
But um, uh, the other thing with the Heidis, um, they're a great strong tie, very strong um, sidewalls on them. But Grant, I've seen you grunting and groaning over doing your tie-changing exhibitions at Horizons. Try that with a Heider now. They are tough as nails. Absolutely really tough tyre. So if you're going to put a tyre on like that and you you think you're going to have to take it off, you're going to have to take something to do that with um, or be able to find someone with a pneumatic press to do it with. But uh, to me, me, um, road tyres, I'm I'm running these Anikis at the moment. I've just ordered a set of the new TKCs. I'm going to try them out, which uh, a lot of people rave about here in Australia. I love them. I'm going to try them out um, because with the TKCs, I found they, they wore out too quickly, but apparently this new lot, they don't. So yeah, that's the wild. It's very good. They seem to yeah. wear really well and good yeah. traction too. Yeah, I've had an experience with Heidenau's, uh, as Brian alluded, um, trying to change a Heidenau yourself at the side of the road or fix a flat or repair it. It's a nightmare. I mean, I've done a lot of tires and... I will not put Heidenau's on my bike because I, if I have to fix it, I just it's just too hard. You know, it's it's yeah. doable, but wow, is it ever hard? And the traction issue, I had an interesting experience. I was flying into Europe and we borrowed a bike from Touratech in Germany, and it had a set of Heidenau's on it. I literally went around two corners, turned around, went back, and gave it back to him and said, "I want some Michelin's on it, thank you very much." Mm-hmm. Um, because on the first corner it was okay, and the second corner I almost lost the front and. There was just a tiny little bit of water on the road. I was going slow. It was a fresh new bike to me. I'd never ridden it before, and it had Heidenau's on it. And I went around a corner at what I thought was super conservative, and the front end just about went out. Like, it, it definitely slid like a foot. Went, oh, yeah. dear. No, that's not good. Enough. Nightmare. So in the wet, forget it. I won't ride Heidenau's. Sorry, Heidenau. <laughs> what about um, inexpensive tires? I've been trying some Shinkos out um, recently, and... What about going that route with a, a less expensive tire? And of course, they tend to wear faster. Right. To me, to me, it's your only adhesion to the road. I, I, I try to get the best I can. Um, I know some people like to do it a bit cheaper with uh, cheaper tires, but I find um, you know they're softer. You get more punctures. They wear out quicker. I think um, it's a little bit of false economy. That's just my thoughts. Yep, I totally agree. I think one crash pays for a whole lot of good tires. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that too. I mean, I, I can't see any point in skimping on tyres. There are obviously times when you have no choice. Um, sure. Coming mm. through um, Pakistan, for example, I put my spare front tyre on the bike and within 100 miles I'd got a puncture. Um, it was a nail through it. I didn't manage to get the tyre pumped up with my um, a little uh, electric pump. I actually managed to set the thing on fire because it was so hot. I was traveling with a couple of guys in a um, little ex-school bus, and they had a compressor on it. And I said to them, take it gently. Yeah, well, bang. And they burst this tire off the side of the room and actually shattered the metal wiring in it. And so I rode for the next, I don't know, four or 500 miles with a tire with a huge blister that was rubbing up against the forks. So I'm in Iran. There are very, very few big bikes in Iran. What am I going to do? Well, actually, I'm just going to look for a 21-inch front tire with a decent tread on it that will get me somewhere that I can get a better tire and take it gently. And that's just what I did. But most of the time, no, I'm going to spend money on a decent set of tires. And I'm always going to be looking at what I actually want the tire to do and the weather conditions that I'm likely to be riding in. I've actually ended up most of the time... um, 
riding on Avon Gripsters because I really like them. They're great on tar, loose gravel, yeah. like sand, not steep mud. And when we've been on overlanding trips and we're just jogging along gently, the mileage return we've had out of them has been um, huge. The most I got out of a front tire was 21,000 yeah. miles. And the rear, wow. the most I got out of it was 11,000. But hey, you know, you're jogging along at 45, 50 miles an hour, gently without lots of stop starts and so on. And, you know, you're going to increase or decrease the tire wear. But what I wanted was just something that was going to keep me as safe as possible and as many of the road conditions that I was going to come across. And I don't ride with knobblies, by the way. I don't like them for overlanding. They're too limiting. Yeah, I agree. A, co- a comment uh, on what, what you just said about your experience of getting uh, your tire inflated. One thing that that I would offer is, is uh, a suggestion. Don't let anyone work on your bike. If you can do the work yourself, I, I never let anyone do something like that, like add air or, or do anything like that, because just for that reason. You end up with somebody who seems like they know what they're doing, and the next thing you know, you've got a, a major repair to do. Not that, you, not that you did something wrong, Sam. I'm not saying that. No, well, I mean, in that situation, it's somebody else's equipment, isn't it? And so do yeah. you say, yeah. get your hands off your equipment. I, yeah, I'm going I do. to do it. I honestly hand think me do. the hose. I think that's what you say. You say, oh, here, let me do it. And then that way you're not going to feel responsible if, if it breaks, you know. Um, that, that's yeah. my approach with it because I, I just don't uh, – I've seen too many times where it, you think that somebody knows what they're doing and then they end up doing something like that. I had this the same situation happen, only it was with my friend's bike. He did it to himself. But he he didn't want my help with it, and he inflated yeah. it. It was a bicycle it was a long time ago, but he blew his tire off his rim. And um, well, I've got a couple of stories in relation to that. I mean, we were um, uh, running uh, through India, and uh, we were coming into Delhi. The back tire was showing canvas in the middle, and I was hoping it would be able to get me through to Kathmandu, so I knew I could get a tire at Bangkok. But um, uh, we got two flat tires in an hour going into Delhi. So I just went to Carol Bar, which is the um, suburb which sells motorcycles, asked around. No one had seen a BMW 1150 GS um, tyre or, or wheel, um, but I did get pointed to a bloke who had a tyre that would fit the rim. It actually came off a 650cc bike. So um, I went there and uh, bought that tyre really cheaply, and uh, I used his equipment and uh, showed him how to fit a tubeless tyre because he'd never done one before. And um, that uh, ended up costing a bit of money because I actually ended up buying a Royal Enfield as well. Um, <laughs> going, going, going back to the hotel and telling Phil that, oh, I've got a tyre and by the way, I've got a bike. Um, it was a little bit problematical. We got over that little hurdle. Um, we did get over that hurdle and anything I wanted to buy on the rest of that trip, he'd say, but we can't afford it. And I'd say, but you bought a motorbike. <laughs> That's so, true. Brian, it's a true story. Is this one of those things where you think you were these stories where you went in and you really talked him down? And you got an amazing deal on the tire, like basically you stole it from him, and then he sold you a motorcycle <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, four hundred US dollars for a uh, reconditioned infield. I thought it was reasonable value. I did all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, um, also with tires, um, we did this on the last trip going through Russia. My hide and hour split through heat, cold, heat, cold, all that sort of stuff. And um, we ended up buying a uh, just a crappy old tyre in Russia for $100, and that got us through. And all you really do, you, you can, nowadays you can find them just about anywhere. And it costs $2 to have it fitted. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And But um, I sat there and watched the guy fit it, 
um, just to make sure he was doing everything right and he couldn't get it onto the second rim. So what he did was he put some um, uh, petrol caro around it and lit it and bang, like, uh, uh, just popped on. As I've seen uh, truck drivers do that with tyres too. So I knew what he was doing. So uh, there's a couple of little scary. stories. Yeah, it is scary. It's scary to, to do that and you don't stand in front of it while it's happening. Yeah, and a little tip, don't do it on the grass. If you do it on the ground, you're not passing. Yeah. Fair call, fair call. Yeah. So it's amazing how far petrol spreads when you let it get out there. And um, I've seen a fire that was like 10 feet in diameter. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, one day when we're not on air, I'll tell you about my campfire, uh, my camp stove story at the at the fire brigade that I nearly set fire to. But that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to have to fight. tell it now. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. Is this, is this a story you can't tell? Oh, I could tell, but we're on tires at the moment, so I can save my red face, and we'll, we'll do it another time when I've drunk more whiskey. <laughs> well, guys, I'm, I'm going to have to make a move. My travelling companion is uh, getting itchy feet, and I'm um, also uh, got to get to a meeting up in Canberra. So I'm going to have to say. Are you doing the pants thing again now? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm standing here without my pants on at the moment. Right, oh, right. I'm just waiting for Stop my mate it. to help me. <laughs> ride safely, you silly old man. <laughs> yes, ride safely. Yeah, fine, ride. Mate. Lovely to talk to you guys. So uh, with that, I'll say goodbye. Talk to you next month. Okay, cheers, mate. Bye. Thanks, Brian. Bye, guys. Okay. So any more um, tips on uh, for getting more? Or we didn't talk about tips on getting more miles from your tires. So we talked about tires in general. Any tips for getting more miles out of your tire? I, I know there's going to be two right off the top that probably encompass the whole thing. The number one is keep the tire pressure correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Underinflated will wear your tires out faster than anything, and overinflated will do the same thing. And the second so one? Just keep the hairbrushes right. What's your second one? I would say go easy on the throttle because um, yeah, you uh, can tear oh. them off fast or you can make them last. It's, it's sort of up to you and your riding style. Yep. Drive gently. Yeah. It's not only pulling away and accelerating hard, it's um, stopping gently too. Mm, good point, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't realize that how much that affects your fuel economy, how you ride. I know that's sort of off topic here, but it changes it drastically. It doesn't matter what kind of vehicle you drive. If you drive really easy, you will get an incredible savings in fuel, sort of going back to our budget talk. Yeah, and, and the same thing for tires. I mean, I've, I've seen millions of threads about which tire is best, and how, one guy says, well, mine got it. I got 15,000 miles out, and somebody else says, I only got eight. My tire must be defective, so I'm going to complain. It's how you ride it. You mm-hmm. drive it gently. I mean, our philosophy when we're traveling is, number one is we've got to get to the hotel tonight. And then we've got to get to the one tomorrow night. In other words, we have to finish getting there quickly or anything like that or having excessive fun on the road. Well, yeah, if you end up in the hospital, that's not a desired destination. So it's always about riding gently, keep well within your limits and you'll get better fuel mileage and better tire life, and you'll actually have a nice dinner tonight instead of hospital food. Jim, I've got one more. Um, just just thoughts planting um, people's <laughs> minds regarding tire wear. Mm-hmm. Um, I've often said that I think it makes sense to be out of the sun um, in the, the main heat of the day when you're riding in hot countries, um, not only because um, of the heat and you know how it affects you and your body, but it also can affect your tires. 
and I didn't really pick up on this until I was riding in Australia. And I found that when I was riding um, the long open roads in the outback in the midday heat, I was losing rubber at a much faster rate. Mm -hmm. So I started riding in the mornings and in the evenings and being careful of the ruse, of course. Um, but just by doing that, by keeping out of off the roads for that um, middle three, four hours of the day, um, that was helping my tire wire quite significantly. Yeah, you may also find that the tires are actually overheating because of the excessive heat. And, of course, when the tires are overheated, that's when they wear faster. So you may yep. even find you need to adjust your tire pressure accordingly. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Okay, well, um, I guess we'll start with our, our picks. Um, Shirley, what do you have for a pick? Oh, I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> We've been on holidays and I've, I've um, left my... Um, let the game down. No I'm pick. really sorry Remove about that. gold star. Just making a note here. Remove gold yeah, no. star. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll, I'll, accept, I'll accept the uh, no gold star. Grant, That's okay. Have? What do you have? I'm in the same boat. I haven't had time. haven't had time to even think about it. Two gold stars saved. And yep. Sam. Well, because I spent so much time sitting in waiting rooms in the hospital, I've had plenty of time to think. <laughs> well, then you must have three picks for us. Well, oh, well, I could do three. What have you got? Yes, comfortably. I might be, might be at this for a long time. No, but seriously, I, I have got a pick. The last time on Adventure Rider Radio Raw, I chose the Overland event in the UK to promote. But this time I want to choose um, the ADV Moto Rally in West Virginia. Now, I've picked it because I was presenting in book signing there last year, and I loved it. It was the vibe from the people, all of the activities, and the location. It's set on a really beautiful spot on the Potomac River near Romney, which is right in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains, and it really is gorgeous. This year it's happening September 22nd to 25th, and one of the keys about this event is um, they've got some absolutely magic off-road riding. They've got 70 to 200 mile stretches of mixed dual sporting roads. So there's something there for everybody's abilities. So um, if you want to spimble along on nice gravel roads and enjoy the sound and the views and so on, then you can do that. If you want to be doing river crossings and jumping trees and all of the rest of it, then you can be doing that. But if you want to be doing um, staying on the, on, on the tar, then... The, the back roads in that area are just gorgeous and they take you meandering through some absolutely spectacular countryside. Now they have adventure rider training going on and this year they've got two organisations doing it, both really top names and if people are interested in getting some packer training then they need to go and have a look at the website. But they also have some presentations going on and this year um, the keynote speakers are Simon and Lisa Thomas and if people haven't heard these two present then if for nothing else then that's a, a really good reason to go to the ADV Moto Rally. Now they do competitions but the raffle last year just blew me away. They had over $15,000 worth of prizes. $15,000. You know, um, they limit the numbers to around 200, 250 people. So the people who bought raffle tickets and were there um, at price to pulling time, it was a sheer joy to watch people's faces as they were walking away with these um, fantastic prizes. And they got exhibitors and food and music and so on. The website address for this is quite simply advmotorally.com and if you can get to it um, in Virginia, West Virginia um, then do, it's a lot of fun 
Sounds really good. That, that's the, put on by the magazine, is it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, they started it two or three years ago, and it's been growing steadily and gently. And one of the things that I really liked as soon as I saw it on the website this year was um, about 50% of the people who went last year um, answered the feedback questionnaire, and they really listened. And I've been going through all of the different things that they've got going on. And you can see where they have listened to what people have suggested and asked for. Um, and I think that's very cool. September 22nd to 25th, uh, 2016. Right. Oh, that sounds really good. ADV Moto Magazine is a great magazine, too. Yep, yep they do a good job. Yeah. Uh, my pick would be um, any, any sort of straps. I just finished talking with um, one of the guys from um, Green Chili Adventure Products, and they have the um, the straps and, and different things they make. And we got talking about straps, and, and I was thinking about how important it is to have tie-down straps for your motorcycle with some stretch to them. So not your typical tie-down straps that people get for, from you know, the local hardware store that, um, that you just pull up and, the, and they pull tight. To have that little bit of elasticity in them, I think Rock Straps makes them, uh, Green Chili makes them. Um, straps that when you do up on your bike, they've got that last little bit that you do that stretches out some elasticity to it. And that makes up for your load shifting. And I just think that's just so important. Uh, I thought that would be a, a good pick. The ones um, that I was talking with um, with Green Chili about sound like they're they're super heavy duty. And thing I, I liked about theirs was that over the elastic part on the strap, they've got a piece of tubing that's stitched over it so that the the final pull isn't just on the elastic. It's on this uh, this little tubing. So anyway, I thought that would be a, yep. a good pick. Straps with some sort of elasticity and not bungees, not just bungees. Do you guys use bungees? No, and bungees no, are really no, dangerous. No. Yeah, bungees yeah. are well dangerous too. Yes, I know. I mean, you you can get one in the eye. People have lost eyes. Oh yeah, and generally, bungee cords are useless. They're never good quality for starters, but they don't hold things on. That's not the 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 method that you need to hold something on of just putting an elastic across something because it, the stuff just bounces underneath it and shifts and bounces and shifts. You need something that can put some serious tension on. I saw the, the green chili stuff, funny enough, for the first time at the ADV Moto Rally last year, and I was really impressed with it. They've got a cradle system which wraps itself around your luggage and makes it very, very secure. It's, it's well thought of, thought out. And I, I like green chili. You know, they're a small company. They're really paying attention to what you actually need. Mm. And, yeah, it works very well. Yeah, yeah, one of job. one of the owners, the founders of it, was a climber, I guess, and he uses that sort of uh, that approach. He knows what strapping and stuff he uses for climbing, um, and then makes it heavy duty for motorcycling. So yeah, it sounds like it's really neat stuff. I agree with you, Sam. Yep. The comment I had to add in there was that I never use less than three straps, um, and I learned that from the days of bungee cords. When if you had two straps and one failed the other one was useless. So I still think if one fails, I want two holding my gear on. So I'm a, a two straight across and then another one on a diagonal across the whole works. And that makes me feel comfortable. Yeah. I generally like to tether as well. I, when I'm doing something, if I can, I'll put a, 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 like the extra one on as a tether. So sometimes they have those D rings on there or whatever, just something so that if it pops off that you, uh, you, you know what, you either feel it thumping alongside or something. But uh, luckily I have never lost anything like that. Yeah, I've been lucky too. I know a lot of people have lost a lot of gear. I've seen gear lying inside of the road. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, it can keep you alive, can't it? I've seen people whose luggage has has, um, has slipped and they're riding lopsided and they're not even aware that they're doing it. And you just think, actually, it's just going to take one more good thump, a pothole or a gully or something, and that's going to come off and it'll drop down into the chain or in front of somebody else's vehicle or whatever, drag along behind, and yeah, it can tip people off. Now, strapping your gear on properly, got to be yeah. the business. Yeah. So how about for plugs today? Shirley, do you have anything to plug? Um. Well, I guess we could plug in September. We're going to be at the Nara Library. I mean, it's not the ADV Rider Convention in the US, but um, this time of the year there aren't a lot of events in Australia because it's cold and snowing, just ask my husband. But anyone who lives on the south coast of New South Wales who'd like to meet us and see the bike and talk to us about our trip will be at the Nara Library on September 7, I think it is, at 5.30 in the afternoon. What's it called? Nowra, which is the town, N-O-W-R-A, at their local library. We're doing a book event there. Oh, very nice. And that's for your new book? Uh, The new book and um, hopefully they'll have the old books there as well. But we'll be talking about the trip across Russia and uh, showing some photos from the trip and uh, and then talking to people just in general about motorcycle travelling. Right. And now for those of us who are not in Australia won't be able to attend it, your books are also available online. Yep, aussiesoverland.com.au. Thanks, Jim. There you go. <laughs> Grant, what do you have? Oh, we've got uh, events coming up, of course. We've just finished Ireland and the UK and the Ontario events. Um, the Ireland, uh, sorry, the UK event, Hub UK, is finally back, and that was great. Fantastic new venue. We're very pleased with the venue. So we're looking to bring that back next year. And the other events we've got coming up, we've got Hum Rockies is coming up in just a week. And we're getting very excited about that one. That's a fun event. And also, of course, we've got Hum Spain is in progress. We'll have registration open for that in a couple of days. That'll be held in Terrawell in the Aragon area, not in the Pyrenees. So we're going a little little bit different location. Um, But that's happening in Spain, October 17 to 20, and registration will be open for that. And uh, anybody that knows anything about the Hums, that's a fun event. Go to horizonsunlimited.com slash hum and learn all about hums. So it's a writing event. It's not a usual Horizons Unlimited event where it's all about uh, learning and connecting with people and talking to people. This is all about getting on your bike and riding and map reading and finding your way around, orienteering on motorcycle. What's the date on the Rockies one? The Rockies one is a week away. That's just coming right up, um, July 22 to 24. But if you haven't pre-registered, you can't come. Sorry. So wait a second. So now is it still open for registration? Uh, no. no. We're closed. Not, okay, it's so full. We've, we've literally sold out. Uh, we had a wait list going. We had a few people cancel, and we had the wait list felt used up, and we're now too close to the event. But if you didn't get onto the event or you didn't register in time, up to the 2017 event will be opening up for registration in about a month. So you want to get in there. The 2016 event actually sold out in six weeks. Oh, wow. That's not a yeah. spectator thing. No one can, you, I mean, you can't go no. and watch, though. Um, you can watch people leave, and you can watch them come back. But that's kind of about it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but Grant, the, just uh, so you know, I've, I've, I've linked up with some people who have been on um, hums before. And I tell you what, their eyes sparkle. And if they had tails, they'd have been wagging when they were talking about them. <laughs> um, lots of fun by the sounds of it. Oh, yeah. We make sure that uh, we take you to some of the most spectacular places. Uh, you can imagine the the photographs that we've got from the Hum Rockies 
pre-setting up, like locating the points and where we're going to send people, absolutely some of the most spectacular places in the world. These places are amazing. And we got some good stuff coming up in Spain as well. We deliberately go out there and look for the interesting little trail off the side of that trail that you might even not even notice and find you the good spots, the good riding. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Are those tracks available afterwards? Nope. GPS tracks? No. It's too nope. bad. No, tra- so there are no you, tracks. If you we don't give you tracks. Oh, it's all paper. It's paper. There is a GPS class, but we don't even give you the actual waypoint. That's where it gets really interesting. Hmm, paper. I've used that. I remember paper. paper. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's what makes it interesting. The thinking is that if your GPS fails, what do you do now? So you need a map. We, even, we are, do have a GPS class, but you still will need a map. And we are supplying, of course, maps. And it's all marked up and places to go. The most important thing that people don't realize is that there is no course. There is no particular route. So you're not eating somebody else's dust all day long. You, are, you and your team figure out what's the best route to get to these hundred-odd points that are going to give you the most points possible before everybody else. Oh, that's nice. I like that. So the points that you're talking about that you're sending people to, that's the neat spot, the view, or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. All I the like great that. places. And, you, you, you know, there's a fantastic spot, and you get 45 points for it. So you go to that one, and then you go to another one, you get 60 points, you go to another one, you get 80 points. And at the end of the day, you calculate your total, and whoever gets the most points wins. But everybody wins anyway. Very nice. So if you want to get on a hum this year, you're going to have to go October 17th to 20th at Spain. And that sounds yeah. nice. And then in January, we've got India. And, of course, next July is Raham Rockies again. And we're looking – currently we're working on one in the eastern U.S. that's in progress. But I can't say too much about that yet. But it's going to happen too. You said hum India? Is, or you didn't say hum, but hum, India you hum, said – I did say hum India. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, that's in, that's in Goa. That'll be happening, we hope, in January. We're still trying to lock down dates and get, get everything set, but it's looking to be January. How cool is that? Very nice. And oh, yeah. that, of course, I can't is wait. horizonsunlimited.com, I assume, forward slash hum. Slash hum, that's it. Very good. Sam, what do you have for a plug? Well, I have, I'm absolutely delighted to say that I am going to be back in the States again in September. What? Um, wow. Yeah, I, I, I've just had such a ball on this um, last seven-week trip. Um, I've got to go back again. You can't get enough. So, no, I can't. Um, I'm just loving the riding and the people and everything, the scenery and everything. It's just been fantastic. And my first presentation kicks off at um, Earth Siva BMW in Orange on the 3rd of September. And um, I'm going to be back at Horizons Unlimited, Yosemite, California. Um, cool. And I haven't been to um, California Horizons for, gosh, must be three years now. I was at uh, the Mariposa venue a couple of months back, and it's an absolutely awesome venue. Great camping, beautiful scenery, some of the best motorcycling roads right on the doorstep that you can wish for. And the presentation rooms are absolutely spot on. I think um, Horizons Unlimited have done hugely well to stumble across this venue for a Horizons event. It's, it really is good. Oh, and the showers work really well. <laughs> so total bonus. So I'm going to be going to that. Um, there are some other events that are in the making at the moment, but I'll be rounding off the visit this time at GoAZ BMW in Peoria in Phoenix on the 1st of October. And as the other bookings get finalized, then they'll be going up on my website. And yeah, absolutely brilliant to be heading back to the States again. And in the meantime, I'm just buzzing around at events in the UK. 
and um, if people want to link up then um, they can keep an eye on my website which is sam-manicom.com and there's a list of what's happening there. Now Sam when you're in in the states in September would you be available to do presentations at other places because you mentioned you're going to be at one BMW shop. Um, yeah, I'm in the process of working with several other BMW dealerships, but um, if anybody else is interested in Southern California and me doing a presentation, then could they please get in touch with me quickly so that um, we can get talking about that. Um, uh, it's, yeah, it's what I'm over to do, share the fun of, of the long road and stories and the mad things that happen and just how much amazing fun overlanding is. Um, plus, of course, the daft things I do and how I get myself out of those situations. Berg, it's probably cringing on the other side of my flat at the moment when I say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, things kind of happen around me. What's the date you're going to be there? So I'll be flying into the States at the beginning of September. And the first one is at um, RFC for BMW and Orange in LA um, on the 3rd. And then when do you leave? Well, at the moment, I've not actually booked my flight, so open. Um, it'll it'll probably be um, sometime towards the end of the first week in October. Oh, very nice. That'll be a nice day. And I was just thinking if somebody was thinking of getting you to, to talk, they might want to know the dates that you're going to be at least possibly right. available for. Well, I mean, the last presentation that I've got at the moment is um, in Phoenix, so I've got this sort of um, two-week window in um, Southern California between Earth Seavers and Horizons Unlimited. So, yeah, that would be the ideal time to connect. If people go to my website, there's a drop-down menu on the top and um, there's a bookings page, or they can get in touch with me on Facebook. Um, we'll go from there. But no, it'd be good. It's what I love to do, share the fun of the road. What and do you do, I Sam? really, really do you, like... Sorry? Uh, I was going to say, what do you do for the presentation? Do you, like, do you go with the slides and everything, or how does that work? I do a, a multimedia PowerPoint presentation and um, then questions and answers because I think part of the, the fun of doing a presentation with you when you've got an audience is that the audience can ask the questions about the things that they want to know about because you can stand at the front and you can tell the stories and just show how amazing the world, world is, um, particularly the part that you might be talking about. But it's, it gets personal when people can ask the questions that are in their own minds. So that's, that can be fun. The longest yep. that I've ever been on stage is four hours because Ooh. the presentation is for two hours and then we had two hours of questions and answers afterwards. Very nice. The question that's and answer are always the best part when we do presentations too, the things yeah, that absolutely. people think of. Well, I think it, it gives people an opportunity to really ask someone who knows. You know, it's, it's, it's really neat. You're sort of, you're, you've got somebody there who can actually give you the information you're after. I think it's pretty cool. I don't fun. claim to know anything like everything, but... Um, yeah, um, I've learned a little bit, like how to fall off a bike with a complete elegance, and I'll do that quite well. Um, well, my plug would be that, um, hey, if you, you like what you hear and you want to keep the show coming to you for free, consider giving us a donation. Drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, which does ARR Raw, and click on the donate button. Anything $10 or more is going to get you a gift sent back to you, which is a, a sticker. And um, you can stick that on your bike to say, hey, I support Adventure Rider Radio and Adventure Rider Radio Raw. 
that'd be my plug and and i guess with that we're we're gonna wrap things up that's it we've uh, just good one down to the four of us have survived <laughs> you got to be it's tough to write a radio rock that's right <laughs> the hardy ones make it to the end <laughs> Ooh, good one i, I like the pun did you, get Did the you pun like in that there? i picked <laughs> that oh, up yeah. that, that was, was very good. far too <laughs> quick for this time quick, of night so, I mean, that was good. you've right. woken up now shirley <laughs> oh yeah yeah well, the after-show party, I believe, is at Sam's, right? I mean, that's what we sort of yep. agreed to at the start, so um, I guess we'll be over there a little bit. I guess you're going to throw another shrimp on the barbie, and um, shall I bring wine? No, no, don't Why do that. Um, it's all here. Oh, sounds oh, great. That's the oh, sort well, even party. better. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. See you in a bit. See you all. Cheers. Cheers. If you want to hear more, want to hear the other episodes, drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and you can go forward slash raw or just click on the raw button. If you like the show, you like what you're hearing, you want to keep the show coming to you for free, consider dropping by the website and clicking on the donate button. Send us a a little bit of your cash to help keep the show going, help finance things and, and keep things running smoothly. We'd certainly appreciate it. Thanks for listening. My name's Jim Martin, and this has been Adventure Rider Radio Raw. See you next month. 